How do? And welcome to Doctor Who's line, is it? Anyway, where everything's made up and neither script nor canon matters. Hey, <laughs> champion. Lovely, lovely listeners, how are you? How are you? I hope you're all right. Welcome back to Doctor Who's Line, is it? Anyway, this week we're doing something a little bit different. It's not improv, uh, but we found that the reviews that we did for Series 12 were very, very well received. So, what we've decided to do is a few more of them. We've started, which seemed like a sensible thing to do, with uh, a story that we'd already covered so we're not talking about something we're subsequently going to do and maybe giving ourselves ideas for it and we thought we'd start right back at the very beginning so we're doing An Unearthly Child Uh, now obviously it's a seminal story there's an awful lot to talk about and you know us, we can talk so we decided to restrict ourselves to episode 1 so that's what we're doing episode 1 of An Unearthly Child This is the first of a (laughs) two-part episode because it's 25 minutes of television. We can't stay on topic and we went on for two and a half hours. So we thought we'd split it over two for you. Um, Hopefully by the time it's edited down it won't be anywhere near two and a half hours. It'll be slightly nearer to two. But anyway, this is part one of it. This is just the usual suspects. Darren, Sue, Randy, Robin and myself talking about an unearthly child. So, here we go. An unearthly child. Then, episode one. <laughs> that's how it. That's how it started. That's how it started. Reg Cranfield, the, the policeman, the first person to be seen on Doctor Who, and never seen again. <laughs> After that groundbreaking television obviously this yeah. must have can you can you imagine what it must have been like in 1963 to have to have that suddenly come on well i'm the only one old enough probably no <laughs> but i was only 4 months old so i get a pass on that <laughs> well, i'm older than you i was yeah, well, 3 I, I would have been 3 i was minus 3 so i yeah yeah but so. But we were over here, so. But we didn't get. We wouldn't have seen it till. Yeah, we didn't get this kind of that kind of television. No. In these in the states for, quite a while. I would imagine it would have been and, quite an experience. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when oh you consider God. when you consider that it starts with, basically the the full theme, that mm. runs oh, for yeah, all yeah. of that time, and then the, the and it goes on and on and on and on until eventually. The music fades out, and we 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 the camera zooms in on the TARDIS with just that very faint hum, and we we take it all for granted now. But at the time, people must be thinking, "What? We've just been looking through this junkyard, and there's a police box in it, which obviously would have been a familiar sight back then." Yeah, but oddly out of place in a in a junkyard. Oddly out of place. Yeah, yeah. And it and was then, scary. 
it was scary to start it it never really stopped being scary for that first the first part of the of the episode the very first part of that it was I don't know if I'd describe it as scary it's very atmospheric it's very very atmospheric I'm I'm amazed at how well it still holds up today Mm -hmm. Mm. when you consider the technical advances and the speed that things go at these days that it's it's properly gripping all the way through because it's this mystery and even though you know what the outcome of the mystery is you're still hooked all the way through yeah but the thing that gets me is the reason I said it's scary is because it was for children. Now, if you showed that children's show, the same show, 1963, here, ooh, that would have been, uh-uh, we, would, we have to show it at night. It has to be shown at night. It has to be children that are above a certain age. You wouldn't want children that are under, you know, 13, yeah. 10, 12, 13 to see it. Oh, no, 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 no. And as the as the show progresses, oh, absolutely not! It's too dark for kids that, for little kids, little mm. kids, get that type of show um, when they're when they're about eleven, twelve, somewhere up there. You don't get that scary of a program, at least not back in nineteen sixty three. Again, I I I wouldn't say that the first episode is scary per se. I think I think when you get into episodes two, three and four, which we'll be oh. discussing at a separate time, I think that's that's more more something that that the kids might find scary because, you know, it it's people not behaving as the in the way that people people normally behave and without the same sort of morals and things and there is a jeopardy there which obviously for you know, for a children's program at the time, might have seemed quite dangerous. But I think the first episode is more intriguing because of the because of the mystery of it. Intriguing now, because yeah. we're looking back. But I mean, intriguing because we're looking back at it. But you know, stranger danger, stranger danger, and this doctor. Yeah, part is. of what might be disturbing actually is the doctor himself. Yes. Because he infamously is not a nice person. Right. In that yes, first but... episode, I mean, ele- he practically electrocutes Ian. Um, <laughs> Susan is obviously very upset about what's going to happen because he won't let them go. What's he going to do to them? Yeah. Mm. He kidnaps them. I mean, stranger danger, big time. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> and that's I, the I, doctor. I still <laughs> don't know Some if of I... that doesn't affect us because we know what's going to work. Yeah, 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 exactly. We're, we're, we're constantly looking at this with with hindsight and with knowledge of everything that comes. Seeing that sort of thing for the first time after you've been watching Flopsy and Mopsy or whatever children's crap was being served up at the time, you know, there would have been nothing quite like it. No. There, there was definitely nothing nothing like it at all and I still think that a lot of the success of the show is to to quote Joe Grant uh, or, the, or the Doctor in The Green Death, Serendipity um, mm. very much a happy accident, you know they had they had the plans which were it was going to be an educational programme um, it was going to be uh, entertaining but educational so that it was going to teach science, it was going to teach history the idea was that it was you know, going to educate 
the children who were going to watch it. Um, but then it wasn't made by the children's department, so that automatically gave it that slightly more adult edge, which in turn drew in the family audience, whereas it was intended to be a children's programme. So that was one thing that wasn't planned, but worked in the show's favour. The fact that um, they originally wanted the TARDIS to be invisible. It was going to be an invisible ship, because they were thinking, look, think of all the money we can save on an invisible ship. And then they then they realised that actually that was going to be very very difficult to do all the time. So some bright sparks said, well, why not? Why don't we just have it as an ordinary everyday object? Um, so we could use I don't know, it needs to be something you know big enough for people to go into. So something like a police box. Oh, well, yeah, that would work. And that was purely intended to be something just that they could use as an exterior set for the for the yeah. TARDIS. It wasn't. They, there was no thought going into about oh, it should should it be a police box? But obviously, as as it turned out, with the Doctor ending up as a character that goes around righting wrongs and standing up for the underdog and uh, fighting evils and what have you, a police box is actually a very, very pertinent thing. Yeah. Right. Because it stands right. for justice and morality and, you know, and doing doing things the right way. Um, that was an incredibly prescient move. It was. You know, and as we go further on into the series, and I know this isn't specifically for this episode, but the whole thing of uh, of regeneration, you know, which came about simply because William Hartnell was was ill and struggling, and um, you know, obviously there were problems with the uh, with the production team at the time, with 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 his with his illness and with his irascibility. And so they were they were trying to get rid of him. They need they wanted to get somebody else to come in to take over from him. And they could have had somebody who looked like him. They could have they could have just changed things very slightly, but they didn't. They went for something completely different. And they had to come up with some reason for that happening. And thus, regeneration effectively was born. Yeah. And without that, the show would never have survived for any length no. of time. No. And it's become yeah. such a fundamental part of the show that the success of it is because it can change so completely from time to time and thus become fresh again and keep going. Do you know all of the all of the great designs of the show, you know, like like Stephen Moffat used to say, um the fact that the, the doctor obviously originally never had two hearts. He was just he was to all intents and purposes he was just a person he was an alien it would seem but he could have been a human we we didn't know he could have just been from the future but then they made him into an alien and they gave him two hearts and for somebody who cares about the whole entire universe two hearts is the perfect is the the perfect sort of example of that isn't it so he, he doesn't carry a gun he carries he carries a screwdriver to fix things (laughs) <laughs> it's just, oh. Or, or every once in a while, a rock. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just twat caveman over the edge. <laughs> I mean, well, this, is, it, this is this is. I fight immorality, 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 and injustice, and you're slowing us down, so I'm gonna kill the <laughs> f- out of you. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Yes, but that's uh, th- that that side of things is is for the the next three episodes, which we'll talk about another time. But but the character of the Doctor obviously is very different from what we came to know, and and I think it's something that they've tried to do a couple of times since. They tried to do with Colin, um, and they did to a degree with Peter Capaldi, making him very very brusque and the anti-hero if you like to start with with the idea being that the, the, the character softened over time poor old Colin never never really had the opportunity to do that because his run was so curtailed and which is a shame because I think it worked much better than it did uh, That I think it worked god I can't talk tonight I think it worked much better with him than it did with Capaldi he carried think, off that th- brusqueness very yeah, well I think the Capaldi version probably worked better overall because it started as it started and it finished as it finished and that was what was supposed to happen with Colin the side of things with Colin that didn't work was the whole strangling Perry in his first episode and um, you know really really being quite quite extreme the other way um, I see everybody whereas, says that doesn't doesn't work but it works for me I like it yeah yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing too. He he really does parallel the first doctor because he strangles Perry. The first doctor A kidnaps Barbara and Ian, just about kills Ian by electrocuting him. And and for the first, well, and we're not going to talk uh, talk about that right now, but for the first <laughs> whatever, the infamous rock. Yeah, he he's he's a he is not a very nice person and no and over the, over he, the... he's just and he has no problem hurting his companions now colin with colin's doctor he was coming out of regeneration so he's got the regeneration brain yeah but he just went right back to the first doctor where he has no problem hurting anybody oh you're a companion you piss me off you're against me you're ah! but both so of them right both of them equally yeah. are both softened up by their companions and, and yes, become right, much right. more likable uh, I mean especially if you venture into the big universe uh, big universe god what is wrong with my f***ing brain tonight if you wander into the big finish universe uh, with Colin you know there really is a much softer side to his doctor especially when he yes, meets Evelyn he's, he's then playing the doctor that he wanted that to he play. should have been and, yeah and yeah. he's been able to you know, have that discussion with the writers, and the writers now know that that's the character that he was wanting to play. So he can go, he can go down there, but he can also still play the early, the early Doctor in, you know, as he did with um, with some of the Perry stuff. Yeah. Um, or even, I mean, I don't know if any of their um, any of their stories um, were taken without Perry but him from that time because I know that there's there's um, Eremim comes in but that I think is later on in Perry's run isn't it uh, yeah she's fifth doctor yeah uh, that's true yes sorry yes of course she is uh, you can tell I haven't listened to any big finish for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, yes so um, but again you see it with Hartnell I mean he, he softens so much especially towards Barbara very much so um, well, Barbara mm-hmm. is the instigator of this, isn't it? Barbara, yeah. more than anything else, is is the person who who changes it. I think, I think Ian has has some Im- impact on that, but it, I think 
Ian is the harder character and Barbara is the softer character. Obviously Definitely. being, you know, the the male and the female of the 1960s, that's that's the way things would have been looked at. How, Ian was the, the action hero. And as companions... However, sorry, sorry. Oh, go right ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, as companions go, I don't think they could have really chosen anyone better than Ian and Barbara or the the, the actors that play them to <laughs> to soften Hartnell's Doctor. They, they really hit on a willing winning formula with the three of those and of course with um caroline ford yes they just all they just all gel so well yeah the question is was this planned for the doctor to soften as time went on or was that just a natural thing because i think that he was originally intended to be irascible and what have you and i think as time went on they realized that it wasn't going to work if he was constantly like that and so the character had to soften and that may even have something to do with William Hartnell as well saying I don't want to be this anti-hero figure all the time I'll be a bit grumpy and gruff and what have you but the Doctor needs to be the grandfather figure Yeah, which is what he loved He loved doing he loved the fact that the kids would, would you know would come up to him and, and, and see him as the Doctor and, and, and this grandfatherly figure um, and he absolutely revelled in that mm. which is one of the reasons why he continued playing it for, for three years with Barbara, more so than Ian, she just lets loose on him. She tells him where, when, and how it's going to be. She isn't taking it anymore. She's she this, takes she's this, she's no this. shit and from him she, at all. She, no, she doesn't. And she's like, what are you, old man? And I mean, she's yelling at him. And it's like, this is a companion that's like, I, you have crossed the threshold with me, and now I'm going to take your ass out. So shut up, old man. And it's and it's a female companion standing yes. up to a man in the sixties. Yes, yes. In the sixties. And saying, "Look, stuff you. This is my way of doing shit." Yeah. And she's just awesome. And he takes it. He takes this it. This was exactly what the program. It was. This was mirroring what the program was actually doing behind the scenes as well, because obviously we had Verity Lambert, the first female producer. Yeah. You know that was unheard of at the time. You had Waris Hussein directing the first episode, who was a gay Asian man. Yeah, you know, and still is, obviously. Yeah. But, um, but you know, again, at the time, that was, I mean, you know, homosexuality was obviously quite prevalent in the theatrical profession. But yeah, but in the sixties, it was frowned on as disgusting and abhorrent. But it, it was very much frowned upon. Yes. But, yeah. And and certainly, you didn't tend to get people who weren't of English descent involved in any major way doing things mm. very often at all so for a, pro- a a program to start like this with a, a woman producer and an asian homosexual director and a woman who did the music and a woman who a yeah. woman who who arranged the music based on the, yeah. the, the thing that was written by by a man but uh, but again you know that and with this very strong female female character that fundamentally changed the lead character and the way that the way that he behaved but thank god we've come so far from that and i think a lot of that is because of not just doctor who but programs like doctor who star trek showing us a a a vision of a better world Mm. that we are better than that um yes you know things like um i know it's widely touted as the first interracial kiss on television it isn't um, but the kiss between Spock and Uhura, uh, Kirk and Uhura—it's—it's it's not the first yeah. interracial kiss, but everyone remembers it as such. 
Yeah, and even uh, then, that was done in a, in a way that it was something that that was forced upon them and wasn't something that they actually wanted to do. Yeah, which was their which was their get out clause with that. It's like, well, look, we've got this this white man kissing this black woman, but oh, they don't actually either of them really want to do it, so we can get away with doing it. And then if anybody complains, it's like, yeah, but they, it wasn't their choice. Mm. So it was that was clever. That was very clever. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, so so it was, you know, it was one of the the early factors in, in in helping to liberate women and give give women a more equal role in 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 television and thus in society as well. Obviously, you know, the women's lib movement the movement had been had been going for a while and and women's position in society was beginning to change and was changing more and more as as time went on, and that was reflected in what they were doing in the show and that in turn I think helped to help to continue that process so it's it's good to the you know shows like that and the Avengers of course which was another one which was very yes, yeah. very important yes. in uh, in forwarding the rights of women and the the prominence of women Mission Impossible as well maybe not so much that um, you don't think but no not so much because if you think Mission Impossible, you don't think, oh yes, well, who's the prominent woman in that? Whereas obviously the Avengers was was right. always always Steed and Mrs. Peel, Steed and Kathy Gale. You know, it was always always the male and the female together. Oh, Mrs. Peel was a badass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she was she was awesome. Yeah, she was. Yeah. God, I love Diana Rigg. <laughs> she was fantastic. Yes, yes, indeed goes off on yeah. a slight tangent there sorry yes, yes. I, just, I, I, just, I love I love the Avengers and I love the Mrs. Peel era the yeah. Kathy Gale stuff was great but the Mrs. Peel stuff was just sublime yeah well that, that I think is the definitive Avengers yeah without a doubt you know although being of that age I'm very very partial to the new Avengers mm-hmm. yeah but obviously that that was you know, a continuation of what was started back in the fifties. Uh, six. Uh, when did the Avengers start? Was it sixty? Sixty. It was sixty-one, I think. Sixty-one. Yeah. So, all of these things coming on at around about the same time. So it was a hell of a time to be a. It was a hell of a time to be a kid, wasn't it? The sixties. Yeah, it was. Sidney Newman yeah. have a hand in the Avengers as well. Yeah. Thought I read that. May very well have done. He. Excuse me. He was hired by the BBC, wasn't he, because of the work that he'd been doing on on commercial television. And I think... Oh, he created the Avengers. So you might say he had something to do with it then. Well, he created it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, just a a tiny bit. Just a a touch. Yeah. I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page to see what his progression from Doctor Who was to the Avengers. Um... Or the other way round, if the if the Avengers were sixty one. Or the other way, yes, indeed. I'm sure that he was he was having a lot of commercial success on commercial television, a lot of success on commercial television, and the BBC wanted somebody to come in and shake things up in the drama department. So he was brought in to basically be the head of drama. The one thing I think is is brilliant when we were talking about Barbara, Barbara taking over and being so strong and just right in his face the whole way through. I mean, she, she solves a lot of the problems that they have. If you, going all the way through that, 
um, the episodes that we have done with her, she does solve the problems in a lot of the episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, she will bring them forth to the doctor and they'll be, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But she comes up with these things. Okay, so... Well, look at look at a classic example of that is Keys of Marinus. Oh, when, yes. When the Doctor, Ian and Susan are all hoodwinked by the... What is it? The Morphotrons or whatever they were called? Yeah. The Morphos. The little um, snails with eyes? Yeah. The little snails. Mares, I fear. Um... <laughs> Still one of my all-time favourite stories. <laughs> still one of our, still one of our funniest stories that we did. To be honest with you, um, with all the different bits in that, Derek's snails were just. <laughs> with, with, with Barbara, that gets so dark. It does. It does. I mean, it does. The, the, well, this is the threat of rape in that. Like, I mean, you do, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just absolutely. don't expect that, and it's it's just so. Absolutely. It's such a sinister story. Not for a children's episode. But you know, again, in in the thing when they've all been been sort of brainwashed, Barbara is the one that comes out of it and basically, okay, she goes in and smashes them all up. But she she does she saves the day. Yeah. First, the first time I think properly that she saves that she saves the day because in Unearthly Child they basically just escape. In the Daleks, it's it's like a team effort to 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 get to the city and then after that it's just again smashing things up and obviously an edge of destruction she does she does save the day in that one she comes out of it and what edge of destruction yeah edge of destruction she yeah, yes because comes she's... out first yeah, yeah. yeah. and she's yeah. how dare you how dare you cuz he wants to he's pointing at him to kill him like they're they're aliens they've they've come aboard our ship they're taking our ship and she's like screw you how dare you old man and that's I think the first time she called him old man yeah but then obviously Keys of Marinus she she really yeah. comes into her own because she um you know she solves the um she she overcomes the the, the snail issue um she um she has to to fight back against the um the guy trying to trying to rape her She's yeah. very, very um, prominent in, in, I think it's episode three, the one with the jungle. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Where they're, where they're yes. trying to find that. Yes. You know, and, it, and obviously not quite so much when it comes to the, um, the, court, the court scene, but by then William Hartnell's back from his holiday and obviously he's, he's the one who has to, has to resolve that particular side. But, but Barbara's very, very prominent in a way that you're not getting these days with the companions having that level of of impact on the outcome of the story so much. Right. Well, and uh, what I was what yeah. I was going to say is at the exact same time because I watch a lot of of me TV here at the exact same time frame women are being slapped, women are being spanked, women are treated like you're a child regardless of your age. Do this, do this. You don't see a lot of really strong, strong women in the 1963, 1961-62-63 era programs. They're mm. treated like, you know, you are a child. They're treated like possessions. The, uh, how dare you run away from me and puts her over, yeah, and, and spanks her. That's the big thing. Who's going to get spanked next? Yeah. And it's yeah. Like, well, you speak, you speak to someone like Louise Jameson who obviously has done a lot to you know to forward the the the, the roles of women um in television and 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 film and theater 
and you 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 know she she talks about well well back then um if you were a woman and you wanted to appear on a show like this then you would be a mother you would be uh, a bit on the side um or a wife um you would be a secretary and yeah. that that was yeah. almost fundamentally it you know yeah. or you might be something like a teacher or a shopkeeper or something like that but there was there was nothing nothing particularly meaty I mean, you can't say that 100% across the board, but predominantly, you know, it was a very, very male-dominated era. That's why, with with, with uh, Lou Jameson, I think back in the, was it the 70s or early 80s or whenever it was filmed, uh, Tenko was such a an integral yeah. program yeah. because it was it was such a female-dominated program and it just it just worked so yeah. well. It would have been it would have been late late 70s. It was not that long after. Um, no. After Doctor Who finished, and possibly seventy nine, maybe something like that. And what what is? I mean, I mean, I'm going off a slight tangent here, but then we tend to do that anyway. But but with Louise Jameson, she was she was one of the very few examples of somebody who had been on as a companion, a female companion, who actually did quite a lot of work afterwards, because she went on to Tenko, and then she did the Omega Factor, and then obviously. Subsequently, some sometime down the line, she was in EastEnders and yeah, she did and Bergerac. She just, and Bergerac, yeah, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, she had she she really did keep going in a way that you know you never saw you never really saw Liz Sladen in anything else. I know that she obviously she um, she had a daughter and and that and that curtailed things slightly, but but she you know she really didn't you didn't see her in anything after she never saw Katie Manny. Katie Manning really in anything afterwards. You never saw Wendy Padbury in anything afterwards. You never saw no. Carol and John in anything afterwards. You know, it was very much a case of, oh well, the girl companion, and then they've gone. And even, you know, looking looking after that, you never really saw Mary Tam uh, in anything after she finished. You never saw Lala Ward. You never saw Janet Fielding or Sarah Sutton. You never saw Nicola Bryant in anything afterwards. Well, not it's even just... so. Not even Sophie Aldrin. Her career was her, her yeah. final episode was in the late eighties, and you know, Sophie it's... did did do quite a lot with children's TV yeah but 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 you know Louise Jameson stayed really quite prominent mm. um, and that's you know hats off to her for that and, and she, she was and always has been an extremely good actress and that obviously is part of it but that you can't turn around and say that some of the others mentioned weren't also extremely good actresses as well so no quite um, so yeah. Anyway, so going back to an earthly child episode one, uh, we have this mystery that most of us who've seen it, I think it's safe to say now, are people who didn't see it when it went out first of all. Most of us who've seen it have have come to it afterwards. And considering the fact that unless you missed the first episode and then saw it when they reshowed it, which in itself is a bizarre thing that they actually filmed it. They filmed the pilot episode and it was considered that it was too harsh in some ways and they weren't happy with it and there were some mistakes that were made like with cameras bumping into things and the TARDIS doors opening when they shouldn't have done and things like that. And so they refilmed it and then the first episode went out and then because of course it went out the day after Kennedy's assassination it was re-shown the next week and this is this was a bizarre thing really back in the time because 
some of the some of the television that was going on back then was was actually live. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the the filming that was done even then back then for the early stuff was film was effectively filmed as live even though it was filmed they really didn't very much go back over and and re-record things which is the reason why obviously a lot of William Hartnell's fluffed lines stay in the show if that had been done today and he'd made those mistakes they would have gone back and refilmed it and we would never have had all all those wonderful billy fluffs as they as they've become known i think they're utterly endearing they are yes. completely endearing mm-hmm. you know they, I, they, it's natural it just appears yeah. much more natural because people do fluff every yeah. day well i've fluffed my fluff. way through this entire episode <laughs> <laughs> i was just gonna say extremely well Darren. <laughs> if i had to redo yeah. everything for this i'd be here for a fucking fortnight <laughs> <laughs> So most of us haven't, didn't actually see it. Obviously, there are some people who saw it when it first went out, but after that, unless you happen to be in another country where it had been sold and you managed to catch it there, nobody in the UK would would have seen an unearthly child until it was re-shown as part of the Five Faces of Doctor Who in 1981. So 18 years after it was originally shown, that was the next time it was actually seen on on television. Yeah as we are going back now nearly 60 years quite clearly there weren't um, there's, a, there's a lot more people who have been born around about the time that it, it came on or since than who, uh, who are still around now than people who were born before and would have seen it when it went out live so most of us who have seen the programme have come to it with some kind of foreknowledge. I doubt what? there's very many people who would have who would have tuned in to the Five Faces of Doctor Who to watch An Unearthly Child who didn't have some knowledge of the show at that point and therefore know the character of the Doctor, know what the TARDIS was, know that you know he was a Time Lord, know he travelled in time and space. So they wouldn't have had that mystery that would have been there when the show went out right. in 1963 what, what is everyone's earliest memory of Doctor Who that, that's here uh, for me it is the Sea Devils although I'm never 100% sure with that if it was the original transmission or it was the repeat showing that they have because there was back in the uh, in the the mid 70s or the early early to mid 70s you'd get things like the uh, the, the, the coverage of the cricket that the BBC would show and if it rained when that happened then they didn't have this plethora of other cricket batches that they would show in, in place of it or other sporting events if the cricket was rained off oh we better stick something else on instead and on one of those occasions uh, uh, I think an omnibus edition of the Sea Devils did go out so there is a possibility that it might have been from that showing that I saw it Right. I do know that I definitely can remember the gel guards from the three doctors. So that is one of potentially one of my earliest memories or it could be the sea devils from 1972. Okay. Obviously for for people not in the UK when the show was was broadcast a lot of the time it would be either John Pertwee or Tom Baker because the 
the the run of the early episodes, the, the the black and white episodes, wasn't complete, and they didn't show them a lot of them. Whereas there was a complete run of Pertwee, there was a complete run, definitely a complete run of Baker in colour. So these things tended to go on and be on repeat. So for a lot of people from overseas and born more recently, what you saw first wasn't necessarily the first time it was shown. It might have been a, re- a repeat showing, it might have been part of a run. But obviously for everybody there is a there is an earliest memory, there is a first story that they've seen, yeah. irrespective and regardless of whether that was when it was shown the first time or whether it was just, you know, one of a one of a number of episodes that was constantly being being reshown. I mean, Australia, for example, the, the the show was virtually shown on repeat constantly throughout the year, yeah, on a daily basis. It was shown in the evenings. My earliest um, memory was Planet of the Spiders and seeing Sarah yeah. Jane with a giant spider on her back. But I have a very very fond and very very vivid memory of Genesis of the Daleks although I'd seen the stuff prior to that because Genesis of the Daleks I remember watching it on transmission but they did an omnibus uh, in December of 1975 no 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 oh yeah 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 no the original the original yeah and I remember going to my nan and granddad's house to watch it because it was the first time I'd ever seen Doctor Who in colour because we didn't have a colour telly back then yeah, and I was utterly transfixed by because I was only six at the time. You know, yeah. you know, watching watching Doctor Who in in colour, and you know, being amazed by the colours of his scarf and things like that. Just those yeah. sort of things—they just stick in your head. There was a thing that 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 seemed to happen. I think it was uh, when Tom Baker started, and it was generally the the second and the fifth episode of each series for some reason that got repeated I know that they, they showed an omnibus edition of Sontaran Experiment uh, and I know this because it was one of the ones I audio recorded right uh, I know that they re-showed Planet of Evil I definitely remember them re-showing Invisible Enemy and I think it was the Sunmakers I know they reshowed Pirate Planet. They definitely reshowed City of Death. Yeah. Um, but it was generally it was just it was just one or two stories each year because they they did reshow Destiny. I think it was Destiny and City of Death from season seventeen. So um, what are the what are the earliest American uh, um, memories for American viewers? Uh, Sue, Randy, and Robin. I can go. I remember mine pretty well. It was on the Chicago public broadcasting station back around 1981 or 82. They were showing omnibus presentations of Tom Baker stories every Sunday night at 11 p.m. And uh, it was a classmate of mine that somehow managed to discover it and was sort of evangelizing to the class. (laughs) You've got to check out this show. It's amazing. And one Sunday night, I decided I'll give it a shot. And the very first one I saw was The Horns of Nymon, which... What a great, I, what a great story I don't, to tell. Yes, I know. I don't, I don't think anyone would ever hold that up as one of the all-time greats, but I will always have a soft spot for it because I remember so clearly that was the first one I ever saw. Yeah. And, and I did start watching it religiously every Sunday night for years. Yeah. At that, I was seventeen when I first saw it. 
So you, you came into that quite late in the sort of the eighties. Yep. Yeah. Same here. Same oh, story. Well, that's, that's 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 very cool. And the Horns of Nine Months is a very cool one to start with. Horns of Nine Months is is I think woefully underrated. Um, oh God, yeah. I was I was listening to one of the Diddly Dumb podcasts not that long ago uh, and it's it's a shame that Mark actually uh, I was hoping he was going to be here to join us tonight but he wasn't able to and he actually I think had Horns of Nymon as his second favourite Tom Baker story and so they looked at it um, and they reviewed they reviewed it and he was you know he was he was glowing in his praise of it and the others were like uh, I mean Doc was a little bit mm mm-hmm. And and Hayden was really really down on it, but I wouldn't I think say the, 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 I wouldn't say I absolutely love it, but I think it's a decent story. It's a very decent. The, the story itself is very very well put together. Yeah, yeah. Is, is 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 very good. Yeah, I think it's like several others where there's some kind of uh, a layer of silliness on top. But yes, it's actually a pretty good was, story that underneath. That was what the show was was doing at the time. You know, there mm-hmm. are the silly moments yeah. that. The, the 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 silly oh, sound the, effect and yeah, the, the Graham Williams era and... yeah and you know Soldi's over the top performance and mm-hmm. what have you but uh, I th- I thought the 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 Nymon themselves I mean particularly if you look at them just when they're not really doing anything I think they're very impressive they're a little bit they're, because they were on these big heels they're a little bit little bit little bit struggling when it comes to walking and obviously mm-hmm. this massive bulbous head that the actors were were wearing was was difficult to do too much movement with but the actual appearance of the the creature itself i thought was was very good and the voices yeah. are superb mm-hmm. yeah that wonderful vocal effect on them is really really good and they they felt they felt threatening and uh and i i, I really do think that horns of naimon is a, a a lot lot better than it's given credit for Definitely. I mean, it was it was notoriously. I think they they mentioned it was a hundred and eighty ninth in the DWM Mighty Two Hundred series uh, poll. So it was only eleven stories from the bottom. Well, I think that's unfair. Out of the whole the whole two hundred yeah, at the time, that, and, and I, I would yeah, going. I I really do think it it deserves better than that. Mm. I think season seventeen as a whole is yeah. much maligned. And there's a lot to be said for you know the weaker stories of uh, as as are regarded of that series, Creature from the Pit. Again, story extremely good, effects budget obviously affected it badly with the the Tythonian yeah. ambassador, yeah. And what have you. But the story itself is very good. The jungle set is really quite quite impressive. Um, Nightmare of Eden. Is Nightmare a, of Eden's a, a, a cracker. A brilliant premise. Yeah. You know, with with the drug message and everything, drug like dealing, that. and yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic story. So the actual story ideas for the entire series is very good, and I would even go as far as to say that potentially you could say Destiny of the Daleks, story wise, is possibly the weakest story of the series of the season. I w- I would argue that without a doubt. Yeah, I, I, because it I, is because... There, there's really not a massive amount to. To, rubbish. Uh, to Destiny of the Daleks. It's not rubbish. It's actually pretty good, but oh, I can't um, stand it. But but the story concept itself doesn't match up to, you know, the the genius of City of Death and the the wonderful no. idea of the of, of you know the, a planet that's almost entirely 
um, green uh, and therefore has a lot of chlorophyll, um, but has no metal. And so the idea of this trade-off between the two and and this woman wanting to seize power, so ransoming the ambassador and trying to keep, uh, you know, all of the all of the metal for herself. Uh, that's that's a completely unique idea, and then obviously we've said the oh, creature of the pit. Oh, I like, yeah, and the whole the whole drug idea, and with the um, you know, and the CET and the two ships, two ships sort of fusing together in Nightmare of Eden, very very clever, and and the the the, the horns of Nymon, like I said, the uh, the you know the idea of this this race going from one planet to the other, tricking the uh, the inhabitants into providing them with the with the technology they need to build the power so that they can then suck the planet dry and then move on to the next one mm. yeah it's, it's all very very clever and Destiny of the Daleks when you compare it to that really isn't there isn't an awful lot to the story no but I think the fact it, it's got the return of Davros it's got the Daleks in it the Mavellans uh, are fondly remembered despite the fact that they, they do look a little bit 70s <laughs> it's got to be said mm. They're shite, I think, is the word you're looking for. <laughs> but, but, but you know, it, it brought the Daleks back after many, many years. It brought Davros back, and the whole thing with, uh, you know, with Lala Ward's first story as Romana and everything like that. So there's a there's a lot to it, and it it is it's an enjoyable it's an enjoyable romp. But, uh, but like I say, as an actual story, it is possibly the weak one of season season seventeen. This is well, a great discussion we're having up on an Earthly Child episode one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what about Sue and Robin? What are your earliest memories? Mine were uh, same as Randy's. I happened to turn it on one night when I was home folding laundry to go back to, to school in the morning because I was in college. And I was folding and I thought, what the heck is this? And I sat down and I watched it and I thought, that is different. <laughs> what the hell is that? And I, but was this before you'd met Randy? Oh yes. So that's rather serendipitous again that you'd both so completely but, separately. You've actually ended up watching the same first story, same episode. Yeah, yeah. that's mental. But I fell in love with it. That's right. And sweet. so, and I loved of uh, uh, David Allen, and so I was just like, oh, this is my, my mom would come down and say, okay, are you going to bed tonight? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be up there. I'll be, I have to get up and leave by four in the morning. I'll be up there by two. I'll get two hours of sleep. And I did that for a long time. That uh, that public broadcasting station, right before Doctor Who, they would show Dave Allen at large, and right after yeah. they would show the two yeah. Ronnies. Yes. Mm. So you were kind of stuck. What a what a fascinating idea of having Dave Allen as the lead-in to Doctor Who, and then followed by the two Ronnies. You could almost you could almost expect it the other way round. That seems yeah. a very. I know. I thought it was very odd, but. They kept but that it line was, up for quite a while. Yeah, and it worked because, yeah. I mean, uh, you you watched him and you just did not move off that couch. I would fold laundry and stay there every mm. single Sunday night that came on because yeah. it was once a week. Yeah. And I did that for, for years until they didn't do anything and didn't do it anymore. And um, then I got involved in the theater. And it was right when Colin was... Peter was changing over to Colin. And... I got really involved in the theater, so there was a lot of times when I would miss and I would be actually doing things while it was on. So then I started missing a lot of Collins and I missed all of Sylvester's yeah. because I was in the theater. So I missed a lot. 
And the weirdest thing, I went to the convention that Randy went to. So go way ahead and it's I'm over at his house and I walk around the corner and there's the convention poster. And I looked at this thing and I said, did you go to this convention? He's like, oh yeah, I went with, won some tickets and went with a friend. And I said, I was at this convention. And I was actually supposed to meet Peter Davison at this convention through a friend of mine who worked at Starlog. And it was just, it was a comedy of errors. It was just, it was crazy. But I, So do you mean that if, if things had turned out slightly differently, you might have been married to Peter Davison for all this time? <laughs> no. No, I, no. I don't think so, no. <laughs> <laughs> because no, I was just, if I was you just had been, uh, we really could have had a, 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 a much more involved cast, couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> I was just supposed to meet him. There was a friend of mine from Starlog that was, um, his girlfriend went to college with me. And um, she said, oh, if you're going to go to this convention, I'll see if I can, you know, get you in, to meet up with Ken. And then Ken will introduce you to Peter. And I'm like, that'd be cool. That'd be fine. I think Peter was married, though, at that point, wasn't he? He was married to... Oh, he probably... He was married to Georgia's mom. Sandra Dickinson. Right. Yeah. So... Or, to give her her correct name, Sandra Dickinson. <laughs> So on, on the on the live watch, you know, when they were on transmission, I we didn't say that, Peter. If you're listening to this, <laughs> I, I'm sure he wouldn't mind now. I'd I'd stopped watching in uh, sort of eighty four, eighty yeah, would have been about eighty four because I would have been about fifteen then, and I was much more interested in going out and getting pissed. And I really didn't like Colin Baker. You know, I watched the end of. Um, the Davison era and the first couple of Colin's stories and I thought now fuck this for a game of soldiers I'm going out with my mates and getting drunk and I, 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 and I genuinely didn't appreciate you know what I was missing I saw nothing of um, uh, Sylvester McCoy at all on broadcast I'd, I'd given up with the show by then and it was only when it came out on VHS and I started buying them that that was when I sort of fell in love with the other doctors as well mm. see Randy introduced me to um, Sylvester's era because he was coming to the Chicago TARDIS uh, both Sylvester and Sophie and I was working the Chicago TARDIS so it was like well <laughs> uh, hello here fell in love and then it was like okay and Colin fell in love with his and it was but truly fell in love with Colin through Big Finish also. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because oh my, he really did get shafted. He really did get shafted. He yeah, should have I had mean, a... he was he was very he unfortunate was because he wanted to be the longest running doctor. He wanted to beat Tom Baker seven years when he started. He was a big fan of the show. He really loved the show. He's always loved the show. And he unfortunately joined at a time when the BBC were becoming less and less enamoured with it it's, it's, its heyday seemed to have gone um, John Nathan Turner had been doing it for a long time and I think he was beginning to get a little bit stale with it the whole production value side of the show seemed to be suffering, you were getting all of these, these things being overlit and what have you, they didn't seem to be coming up with the quality of stories that they used to, they used to be getting and the whole thing just... Every, all those factors added together 
Um, you know, Eric Saywood was insistent on the um, on, on trying to become a, a, a Robert Holmes esque figure, but without the the flair and the Mm-hmm. The, um, the 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 brilliant dialogue and the brilliant characterizations that Robert Holmes could come up with, and so you he was just really making trying trying to sort of focus on the violence side of things, and so you'd get you know things like with Vengeance on Varos with the with the the blood bath the uh, the acid bath bath scene and things like that, yeah. and um, and the whole thing just just became this this sort of shitstorm basically that um, that. Then Michael Grade tuned in and saw saw this going on and just thought, well, this is just a pantomime. This is ridiculous. You know, we can't let this continue. And then, then the show was going to be cancelled. And then there was the outcry. And then the uh, cancellation became a postponement. Uh, and, and then we had the the eighteen month layoff. And then came back with trial series, which again wasn't that tremendous apart from the opening spaceship scene you know there were some bits in it which there's bits of it are all right but again it was suffering it was i suffering. love trial of a time lord it was suffering from the same problems that that it had before uh and it was only really when they got into the sylvester era with with andrew cartmel when things began to really sort of start to turn around again but by that point the damage had been done Mm. Um, and of course, Paul Colin bore the brunt of that because he was the incumbent doctor at the time when the when the show seemed to be absolutely suffering at its worst, um, and so he was he was the victim. It's a oh, testament. So sad. It's a, so sad. It's a testament to how much he loves the show that he bothered to do Big Finish at all because uh, an awful mm. lot of people would have turned around and yeah. said, "I don't want anything to do with that program ever again." Yeah. Well, yeah. But you screwed me yeah. over. Oh well. Yeah. I mean, you can completely understand him, um, him not doing the regeneration. Yeah. Oh, uh, totally. Coming back for the regeneration scene yeah. after having just been yeah. sacked to come back to not come back and do that. You can completely understand that. But well, and for them to say, yeah, we'd like you to come back, regenerate to the person that's going to take your place. Mm. Like, mm, yeah. See yeah, these we, fingers? we'd like you no. in this for the first thirty seconds, please. <laughs> Yeah. yeah no. no, I don't think so. More to That's the point, f- it's uh, uh, right, Colin. Um, you're fired because we think you're rubbish. But uh, if you don't mind, if you could just come back for the first thirty seconds of it, so yeah. that we can just have you turning into the guy who's going to replace you. <laughs> yeah. Hardly anybody yeah. would. Any, anyone would. Anyone no. would tell them to sod off, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. And you wouldn't and blame them if then... you wouldn't blame them if twenty years later he was still telling them to sod off. And. Yeah. You know, to be fair to Colin, the fact that he's stuck with the show since then, yes. the fact that, that he's he's put that side of things behind him and thought, yeah. okay, I, you know, I was I was a victim of the circumstances at the time. The show itself, the fans, I've never had an issue with that. I'm going to move past this. And you know, he came back to the role because before, obviously, big finish, he came back for the um, for Dimensions in Time. Yeah. Which would have been the yeah. first time that he that he came back, and he's and he's gone on to do you know to do conventions ever since he did the ultimate the ultimate adventure. Yeah. I think I've, I think I've said on this podcast before that when there's a big finish release announced, I'm never more excited than when it's a Colin one. Yeah, they're they're unquestionably my favourite releases. Yeah, which just leaves Robin. What uh, what was your introduction well, I, to? I think I know the answer to this because I think Robin's first story was Genesis of the Daleks. 
Uh, and Miles would be right in that assumption. It was I discovered Doctor Who on a rainy Saturday afternoon when it was too nasty to go out and ride horses. And so I'm stuck inside. My mom and dad had gone, I don't know, away because they wanted to get away from the kids. So being the oldest at 17, I was the built-in babysitter. And on Saturdays back in the early 80s, and I think the year was 1980 or 1981, you had your three main channels and Saturday afternoon sports was your choice of bowling, bowling, and golf. Which, Riveting. boring, boring, <laughs> snooze fest. So I'm flipping through, like, God, there's got to be something on And I tripped over it on our local public broadcasting station, Maryland Public I Broadcasting. I like bowling, and I like golf. Just wanted to say that. That's okay. That's what floats your boat. Go for it. You sad twat. I, they're, they're, those are the kinds of... I wouldn't necessarily... I wouldn't necessarily watch bowling, but... I was uh, going to say, those are sports that are more fun if you're a participant rather than a spectator. I would argue that golf is actually probably far more interesting to watch when there's a proper tournament going on, when you just simply go from shot to shot to shot, as opposed to all the all the wandering around and, and queuing up Who shots. Who wants to, to watch them? golf on television? It's 14 hours of televised sky. Look... <laughs> Clouds, which is which is the reason why Sky TV show it so much. Yeah. Oh, anyone can watch that wank is beyond me. <laughs> which leads me to, to finding finding Genesis of the Daleks on the PBS station, and I was like, "Well, this is different." So different is fine. So I settled in and watched, it and the, the station was showing. It's what six episodes long. Six episodes, six, yeah. yeah. And it showed them back to back to back, one right after the other. And it only took like the first five minutes of because I tuned in. They were right after the Doctor met the Time Lords. Oh right, so yeah, so Whoa! properly in episode one then, and got the assignment to go to Scarrow. So right after it, right after it started, and I was hooked. It's like I don't know what this is, but I like mm. it. And I it's intriguing. It. It's intriguing yeah. then that, that that you and Sue and Randy, all three independently came to the show and you all thought, Well, this is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you didn't we didn't see anything like that. Yeah. No. I mean we, our experience our experience with science fiction at that time was Star Trek. Yeah. And I was yes. and I was a little kid when I first saw this the, my first episode of Star Trek. Yeah. I was like five or six. And I was yeah. absolutely fascinated. And it's like, yes, I like this. I, you know, I wanted to see more. My mother yeah. hated it. Yeah. This would is, it, and been, I can, I can been... still hear her voice going, this is stupid. Why is that woman green? This doesn't make any <laughs> sense. And she's just going on and on. I'm like, this is, I wanted to say, this is fucking cool, Mom. But I didn't have the words at six. But it I've been, always... Uh, it, would been, it would have been Star Trek... The Twilight Zone, the Outer Limits, and probably Lost in yeah. Space. Lost yes. in Space. And my favorite Martian, maybe. My favorite Martian. But my dad, my dad would turn on Star Trek, and I think he turned it on, turned on, turned it on to see alien women in skimpy costumes more than because he was interested in the stories. And you know, sometimes I wonder if he turned uh, tuned into it just 
to irritate my mom. But that was my first exposure to sci-fi, and I absolutely was fascinated by it. It's one of my favorite genres today, to both watch and to read. Yeah, oddly, my my dad took a a remarkable and renewed interest in Doctor Who shortly after Face of Evil aired. Yes, I can't think why. <laughs> can't, can't do particularly. He became said. remarkably curious about the show and used to stand at the doorway. And uh, I'm not watching this. I'm just <laughs> making sure you're all right. Just checking. Just checking. I'm on you. <laughs> particularly like, having having done our version of, of of Face of Evil and and indeed Robots of Death and some of the camera angles. <laughs> oh <laughs> my God. Like, Hello. Yeah. And that's, this is in an era when you can pause and go back, and you couldn't do that at the time. <laughs> uh, well, bloody good, bloody good job, too. Me. It would have taken me about 17 hours to watch one episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you have it, listeners. That was, I think you'll agree, uh, mostly about An Unearthly Child Episode 1, wasn't it? Uh, hmm. Yes. Anyway, so that's part one. Part two follows next week. Uh, don't forget, we've got our special coming up. We are still looking for suggestions. You have until Sunday morning this week. That's Sunday the 24th of May to get your suggestions in because that's when we are recording it. Uh, so that's suggestions for plots and suggestions for lines that we can say in the episode, which is quite a fun thing to do. You can even ask which character you would like us to, to say something in Fugitive of the Jadoon. So there we go. And bear in mind that your line could be said by a famous person, nay, a famous Doctor Who actor, nay, a companion, maybe. Hmm, yes. Now, there are some smart people out there who will possibly go, I know some of the lines that they've already used. If I say one of those, they might use that one again. Well, you can if you like, but uh, we're looking for new stuff, ideally. And bearing in mind that we are getting people doing this live with us, so your line could get used so there you go anyway part two of this extravaganza uh, will be next week at some point next week uh, hopefully on the usual day uh, obviously we're a little bit late this week uh, but that's because we knew that this was going to stretch into a couple of weeks and so time being short um, had to delay things slightly anyway sorry about that uh, see you next week for part two and don't forget the special Testicles, testicles, one, two, testicles. Surely it's testicle, testicle, one, testicle. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> Have you listened to the uh, the part two episode, Sue? I haven't listened to part one yet. <laughs> oh, it's part two back. Part two came out on Tuesday. <laughs> I was very surprised when I started when I started going on part two. And I got four minutes and 17 seconds into the episode and you finished. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that. (laughs) Well, obviously, you just did it. There's one thing. So Randy had done this thing the oh, previous right, yeah. earlier on oh. about, aren't we about due for a cliffhanger? I mean, it's like, perfect. I'll put the cliffhanger here. Boom. Mm-hmm. And then it carried on, and and <laughs> oh no, Nessie's Nessie's eating people. Ah, what are we going to do? Let's run away. Okay, they run away. Right. Oh, I sod this. Shall we go on holiday? Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Let's go shopping. And then it finished. And 
And I was like, if I just kept going for a couple of minutes more, that would have been the end of the episode. Mm. <laughs> so as a result, part two is literally including, um, uh, well, excluding the, uh, the, 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 the opening titles. But including the reprise <laughs> is four minutes and seventeen seconds long. <laughs> so we were in this the unusual situation whereby whereby the song at the end of the episode was almost longer than the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I I barely even remember doing it at all. Yeah, I was, well, listening, was... I was listening back to episode That's one and thinking. That's what you kept saying. This is shit. I don't remember this. What the fuck is this? I remember something about you erectile dysfunctions. Episode one oh, is, is really good. Episode two, it's just too short for there really to be anything of any mm-hmm. note. So when it came to the song, it's like, well, I, I can't really take any clips from what we've done. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't enough clips. I'd only have one or two. And I'll sort it. I just won't bother. Uh, and I was well, trying so to make sure that I... Well, so should we do another one like that where we have a shopping adventure then? <clears throat> well, there's always the potential for uh, for a scene. For buying shoe, we could go buy shoes and pizza topping and gems. So I think we talk about the first episode today, and then next time we do something like this, we'll we'll talk about episodes two, three, and four, and you know, and where it takes the series after that. But good, good job I haven't watched Unless... any of them for about five years, isn't it? I've got no idea what happens. Thank you. Uh, oh, that was great. That was good. Excuse me. At least I got that out of the way. We were <laughs> well, there's, this, there's this brilliant bit in the episode when it finishes and Sue goes oh give us a belch Darren <laughs> so I then in, I, so I then insert the belch and then and then Darren goes I can't do it on cue <laughs> and, then Sue's, and, and then Sue goes Miles insert a belch so I insert a belch and then she goes or a fart, so I insert a fart. You <laughs> hmm. made me sound even worse than I am. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm shocked to know that I'm part of the monster noises. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta listen to this tonight now. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah, I kind of kept a little bit of that in. <laughs> But um, but but Sue's valiant attempt to do monster footsteps by tapping lightly on her steering wheel <laughs> really was yeah. never was never going to work. This is this is this giant dinosaur going into the distance. Tiptoeing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tiny little feet. Yeah. Tiny tiny little feet. <laughs> It was feet. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Who and the invasion of the remarkably compliant hamster. That would be the song for that one. That is our, that is the next title then for the episode that we do. <laughs> the remarkably <laughs> compliant hamster. That would work that into the plot. Yeah, it, it, what what I had to laugh at with the whole thing was was how you were all so insistent on making the sound effects when it's fairly obvious that I've got all of these sound effects that I can insert, <laughs> and you really don't have to worry for any of it. <laughs> oh, we were just having fun. <laughs> it was. It yeah. was. Funny. It was funny. Oh, cool. you shitting thing! 
Hold on just a second while it calibrates the audio engine. We'll also work that into the compliant hamster episode. If you have to calibrate the audio engine. <laughs> calibrate the audio engine. Now. That could be okay, up with the reverse the polarity of the neutron. Yeah. Yes. Okay, listeners, well, first of all, if you'd like to get involved with Doctor Who's Lines Anyway, there are plenty of ways you can do so. Just find us on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, you can reach us that way and make any suggestions that you like. We would like suggestions. We really would like some suggestions this time because we're going to do a special in a few weeks' time. Uh, we are going to have various celebrities involved, and this is fully involved by Skype, which is going to be good. We're looking forward to it. We are going to do it as an open donation thing, the same kind of way as Toby Haydoke does with Who's Round. We're going to put a donation link at the beginning and the end of the episode to basically to the NHS. We think the NHS needs as much help as it can get at this moment particularly, and obviously going forwards. Uh, it's dreadfully underfunded, and donations from good people like yourselves are what helps to keep it going basically it helps to keep the entire country going and we've seen in these recent weeks and months just exactly how important that is and so there's never a better time to try and help them out so that's what we're going to do we've got various as i say various celebrities coming in and involved with this particular project because of what it is so that's going to be special we are going to do no i better not say what we're going to do because they could still change realistically what we're going to do i'll tell you what we're going to do the plan is we're going to do fugitive of the jadoon as an episode okay um so we're going to have some very special guests as i say involved with that the reason it might change is because if we suddenly get an influx of of uh, various celebrities wanting to take part we will need to pick another episode because there aren't enough roles to go around but realistically we are probably going to be doing fugitive of the jadoon uh, so what we would like is is a plot if you could send in ideas for a plot if there are any lines that you would like any particular character to say then let us know those and we will do what we can to get those into the performance when we do it you can do that as, as I said by uh, reaching us on Twitter or on Facebook we're very easy to find just do that send us any suggestions that you like you can also send them to each of us individually myself sue randy robin darren uh, kerry cat suki philip any of the crew um, we'll all take any suggestions that you have and and we will as i say we will try to include them in the episode itself this will be coming up we're planning to record it in a couple of weeks time uh, hopefully it will be going out therefore in three to four weeks time that's the hope uh, it may be a little bit longer i don't get very much time to edit this and we want to make sure that it's right when it goes out but rest assured 
if you make any of these suggestions we will do whatever we can to get them involved obviously you can't control what everybody does and if they forget <laughs> partway through the episode and don't remember until the end there's nothing you can do about that but we will do what we can to get lines that you suggest or character traits or plots involved in the episode so please let us have those as soon as you can and we'll get you involved in some way shape or form with this very special episode that we're doing okay uh in the meantime we will see you again hopefully next week if not in a couple of weeks time all right cheers thank you bye-bye from all of us here on bbc one a very good night good night <laughs>